Welcome to FS Air, the weekly teaching content of Forest Students, brought to you over the airwaves. When we're young, our parents spend a lot of time teaching us what to say. As toddlers, we learn basic words for things around us, and we learn to say please and thank you. As we get older, we also begin to learn a lot about what not to say. So right now, I'm working with my three-year-old son on helping him not to say his bad words, words like hate and idiot. Eventually, we also learn that there are some things that you generally just shouldn't talk about. For example, never ask a pregnant woman if she's pregnant. Because if you're wrong, you have just insulted a woman about her weight. Just don't talk about weight at all. How about, how about that one? Generally speaking, it's also impolite to talk about how much money you have or someone else has. Generally, it's not good manners to ask someone how much money they make or to brag to someone else about how much money you have. Also, if you notice someone with a disability or a handicap, you definitely should not bring that up in your first conversation with them. It's generally impolite to point that out to someone or ask someone point blank about how they perhaps ended up in a wheelchair. Finally, asking someone, why are you still single? Or when are you getting married? Or when are you having kids? Those are just highly insensitive and rude to bring up. Now, when it comes to our Christian faith, I think we subconsciously fall into this pattern too. There are some Christian truths we learn that people like to talk about and don't like to talk about. We're pretty comfortable talking about God's love and his care around others, but we're less comfortable talking about his wrath, his judgment, and even hell. Like we know these topics are there and they're true, but we put them in the category of things you don't talk about around other people. Don't talk about people's weight. Don't talk about their money. Don't talk about their relationship status. Don't talk about the reality of hell. The surprising thing is that the Bible is very clear on hell, and Jesus does not shy away from talking about it. Did you know Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven? If Jesus is crystal clear about hell, perhaps avoiding it and pretending like it's not real is actually a dangerous thing. Like our last episode on the topic of heaven, we're going to follow a similar outline with this episode on hell, and we'll start by asking the question, how do we know there's a hell? How do we know there's a hell? Because God himself has warned us about it. Because God himself has warned us about it. Last week, we talked about heaven and how heaven is real because God has come to us from there. Jesus is from heaven and proves to us that he's truly God. Therefore, we can trust that what he's saying about heaven is true. So what about hell? Jesus warns us about hell, not because he's been there, but because he still does know what is there. It's like Jesus has gone to the edge of a cliff and gazed into eternity and seen that what is at the edge of this cliff is not a good ending for humans that have died without him. 
Jesus has peeked over the edge to see that some go off the edge of this cliff into an eternity of punishment, never to come back. So Jesus then walks back from that cliff and puts warning signs all along the way to keep us from that spiritual danger. His warning signs are telling us to turn back before it's too late when it comes to hell. And perhaps no warning is more clear than Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This parable comes to us in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The parable goes like this. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers, to warn them, so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Next, let's answer the question, what is hell like? What is hell like? Let's look at three critical truths about hell. First, hell is a real place and really terrible. Hell is a real place and really terrible. So make no mistake, even though this is a parable, and a parable is a fictional story, Jesus is intending this fictional story to teach some very real truths. That's exactly what a parable is, right? A parable is a fictional story meant to convey real truth. Jesus tells us about a poor man named Lazarus, and this is a different fictional Lazarus than the one that Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus tells this parable about Lazarus and a rich man, and they both die and both arrive in very different locations. Lazarus goes to Abraham's side, which is another term for heaven in this parable, while the rich man wakes up in hell. Verse 23 says he was in torment. And in the very next verse, he begs Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Jesus also describes hell in other places of the Bible as a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13, 42. And in Revelation 21, 8, hell is also described as a lake that burns of fire and sulfur. 
When you're in pain, what does your face normally do? You clench your jaw and your face muscles tighten up. Your eyes may well up with tears even if you're trying not to cry. That's the picture that Jesus is giving with these verses. Hell is not enjoyable. It's not a place where you can go to hang out with your friends after you die. It's awful. It's a place that no one should look forward to and everyone should take seriously. Why is hell so terrible? It's because human sin is terrible. When criminals go to prison, do they get a comfy bed, steak dinner, unlimited video games? No. Prison is punishment for their crime, so they don't get it easy there. So what do humans deserve then? If we have not just offended the government, but we've offended the God of the universe. We deserve terrible punishment. Secondly, hell is a conscious physical torment. Look back at how Jesus explains the rich man's experience in hell. In verse 23, it says the rich man could feel pain. He could look around. In verse 24, he could think to himself. He could call out for help. He was thirsty. Jesus is warning us that hell is a real realm of physical suffering. People don't just poof into hell and then get pitchforked into a cauldron of lava and disappear. No, the horrible tragedy is that real men and real women who've walked this earth breathe the same air that we breathe, who have had families and friends and jobs and hobbies are there right now in real anguish with no relief forever because they have rejected God and his salvation. So we should never be delighted that people are suffering in hell for eternity. We should feel the seriousness and sadness of this rich man's plight. Hell is awful and he's aware of it. He's begging for mercy. Third, hell is fixed and eternal. As Abraham and the rich man are having this fictional conversation, Abraham points out something that is absolutely soul-crushing to the rich man. Verse 26, Abraham says, Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. So Jesus is telling us here that once you die, you either go to heaven or hell. And there are no second chances. There's no going from one to the other. So for those of us who have trusted in Jesus and, and will have heaven as ours one day, friends, this is really good news. Once we're in heaven, we can never lose out on it. We could never do anything to end up in hell again. But for those who have rejected Jesus, hell will not offer any way out. There is no exit door in hell. You can't build a bridge. You can't call in a favor. You can't work off your sins like someone goes to the gym to work off their calories. Hell is not just spiritual detention where everybody waits until the clock strikes 4.30 and then they can go home. No, once there, there's no getting out. Just try and imagine forever. Think as far forward as you can. Now keep thinking. And keep thinking a million lifetimes and on and on and on until you can't keep thinking any further. Forever 
crushes all hope. People in hell will have nothing but despair, for no deliverance or rest will ever come to their suffering and agony. You might be thinking, why does hell have to be eternal? Why will it never end? You can think of it this way. So a few years ago, I went to Washington, D.C. to go see one of my favorite bands in concert. After the concert was over, my friends and I hopped on the Metro, which is like the D.C. subway system, to get back home. Well, while, while riding the Metro, the train came to a stop at one of the stations and some teenagers got on. And as we noticed them, there was a little bit of a commotion that they started at the end of the train car. And suddenly two of them raced right past me, one of them chasing another with a knife pulled out. They ran out of the train and onto the platform. I looked out the window and I saw them beginning to fight and throw punches and other teenagers piled on. I'm pretty sure I witnessed a gang fight that night. And just as soon as I saw it begin to break out, the train doors closed and it pulled away into the next station. And I, I did not get to see how the scene ended. But let me ask you a question. Imagine the police arrive on that scene as the train pulled away. What do you think they will do? Probably arrest everyone. Probably take them all to the police station. They probably have to spend the night there. Get, get charged with a crime. Probably have to pay a fine, go to court end up with a criminal record, maybe the newspaper writes a small article about it, and they go on with their lives, provided no one gets seriously hurt. But now imagine this. Imagine this group of teenagers had not ganged up on each other, but they attacked the president of the United States. What would have happened to those gang members then? Probably a lot worse, right? Like Secret Service would have been there and probably would have pulled their guns out and started firing. And now these teenagers probably would not go to a police station after being rounded up, but probably go down to the FBI. They're probably not going to be able to go pay a fine and go home the next day. If far from slipping away anonymously, imagine the headlines on the newspapers the next day. Assassination attempt on the president. These teenagers' punishment is going to be much more severe because they attacked someone much more important. So this begs the question then, what is the punishment for sinning against the infinite, holy, and just God of the universe? An infinite, terrible, just punishment away from him forever in hell. The reason that hell is infinite is that it is infinite punishment for an infinite offense against an infinite God. Pastor J.D. Greer puts it this way. He says, hell is what hell is because the holiness of God is what it is. God is so perfect and we are so sinful that we could never get ourselves out of going to hell if it were up to us. We would all end up like the rich man unless someone could help us first. This leads us to our last question. How do we avoid going to hell? The answer is very simple. By believing God's word, that salvation is through Jesus. Notice in verses 27 and 28, what the rich man does when he realizes he's hopelessly lost in hell. He begs Abraham, please send someone back to warn my five brothers so they don't end up here too. What is Abraham's response? If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, in other words, the Bible, they won't believe someone who even comes back from the dead. 
This is what it means when we read verses like 2 Timothy 3.15 that say that God's word is able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So we should stare at the dark horror of hell with trembling and with seriousness. But we should also remember that we have been given light and salvation through what we read about Jesus and God's word. If you haven't believed this before, you can start believing today. Hell is a horrible place for those who have not been forgiven of their sin. But friends, no one has to go there because of what Jesus has done. Like we said last week, how can we make sure we're going to heaven? By faith in Jesus. So how can we make sure we aren't going to hell? By faith in Jesus. If you have believed the gospel and you would call yourself a Christian, then friends, have you shared this news with someone else? If hell is real, then we should have the urgency of the rich man. The rich man was desperate to get the word back to his brothers so they wouldn't face his same fate. I love how Charles Spurgeon, pastor and theologian, said it. He said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Finally, remember the heart of God from Ezekiel 33:11. That verse says, In God's words, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. God takes no pleasure in non-believers perishing in hell. He desires that they turn to him and live. For some, they will continue to reject him until they die. And that is no one's fault but their own. But for others, they will turn to God upon hearing the gospel. We all have a part to play in this, friends. Someone somewhere has shared the gospel with us. Now it's our turn to share with others. So hell is real, and it is really terrible. But no one has to go there because of the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check out the episode description for discussion questions and additional Bible reading to do with your family, your friends, or your small group. And make sure to check back again soon for more content. We'll see you next time.